Kings chapter 5. I'm going to step up here. I don't like being on stage. Even though with my height, that would probably be a good thing. As you turn there to 2 Kings chapter 5, listen to the words, first of all, of Frederick Lehman, who once wrote this. The love of God is greater far than tongue or pen could ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win. His erring child he reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Could we the ink, could we with ink the ocean fill? And were the skies of parchment made? Were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. The title of the sermon this morning is God's Love for Sinners. And quite frankly, there's nothing that I love proclaiming more, but it's always a letdown afterward. Because no matter if I had, let's say, the eloquence of a Spurgeon or the intellect of someone like Jonathan Edwards, how can you correctly proclaim the love of God? It is so immense. Second Kings chapter 5. Let's look at the text. Naaman, commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. He was a mighty man of valor, but he was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel, and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that my Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord. Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the kingdom of Israel. So he went, taking with him ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, you know that I have sent you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elijah, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come now to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent messengers to him, saying, Go, 
and wash in the Jordan seven times, and your flesh shall be restored, and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry. He went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call upon the name of the Lord as God and wave his hand all over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abna and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word that the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan. According to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. And he was clean. Let's look in verse 1 first of all. I want to go over seven points of God's love. We can see six characteristics about this man, Naaman. The recipient of God's love. First of all, he is the commander of the Syrian army. Secondly, he was a great man with his master, the king of Syria. Third of all, he was honorable. He was held in high favor, so the text says. Fourth of all, he was successful. For by him, the Lord had given victory to Syria. Fifth of all, the guy had the qualities that are esteemed amongst mankind. He was called a mighty man of valor. Should be noted here, before we get to the sixth point, isn't this everything that the world chases after? What person doesn't desire these things, naturally speaking, from this world? Isn't there great effort and great desire for fame, power, respect amongst others, wealth, to be thought of as brave and heroic, to be successful? This man had it all. Little kids in Syria, if their dads asked them, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? They wouldn't say a fireman or a police officer. They would say, I want to be like Naaman. Guy has it all. Stop and consider that. And then we get to the sixth point. The man was a leper. This highly privileged and honored Naaman was a leper. A skin sickness that he was helpless against. No amount of fame could cure him. No amount of his wealth could cure him of his leprosy. Obviously, the man had seen doctors. He desired a cure. And yet, he remained a leper. This brings us to our first point. God's love first reveals to us our serious problem. 
God's love reveals to us our serious problem. Naaman was a Gentile. As such, he didn't know the Lord. In fact, as the commander of the Syrian army, as I spent a lot of this week kind of uh, looking over the differences in history between um, Israel and the Syrians, they had a very troubled relationship, these two countries. Basically, at times they were friends. But they were only friends because of one reason. That's because the Assyrians were coming to attack them. So they would band together to go fight the Assyrians and try to hold their ground. But when the Assyrians, when their empire dwindled and they didn't pressure these two, the Syrians and the Israelites were at war with one another constantly. This man was an enemy of God and an enemy of God's people. Who knows how many Israelites he was responsible for killing. Beyond just being an enemy of God, which was a serious problem, he was a leper. That excluded him from a lot. And his leprosy physically, to bring it home to us, corresponds with mankind's leprosy spiritually. Listen to what it says in Leviticus 13, 45 and 46. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let his hair loose on his head. He shall cover his upper lip And cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. Now I bring that text up to bring two points to you. Two things are seen about leprosy in the Old Testament amongst God's people. First of all, it is an uncleanness. And secondly... A leper could not be with God's people. Until that leprosy was cured, they were kicked outside of the camp of Israel. The word of God states, you and I, men, women, boys, and girls, are spiritually lepers from the moment of conception. What we inherited from our forefather Adam when he ate the fruit of the knowledge of good and evil. We have inherited that. That sin nature. We're unclean in God's sight. And by our own merits, we cannot live with God's people. Isaiah uh, 64.6 says, we have all We have all become like one who is unclean. And all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We have leprous flesh. Romans 7.18 says, For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is 
in my flesh. We have a leprous heart. Jeremiah 17.9 The heart is deceitful above all things and so desperately sick who can understand it? It's the love of God in these 66 books that points out our need. That all have fallen short of the glory of God. And it's a loving God to open up our eyes to this truth. Why? So the rest of His loving message, as we'll study here today, can be applied to our life as well. And there can be a cleansing, like Naaman physically, for us spiritually, for our leprosy. Look at verses 2 through 4. Now the Syrians on one of their raids carried off a little girl from the land of Israel. She worked in the service of Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, Would that the Lord were with the prophet who is in Samaria. He would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord. Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. This brings us to our second point. A sovereign God loves sinners so much so that He puts people through very difficult times so that they can deliver good news. The good news of His love. A sovereign God loves sinners so as to put His people through difficult times so that they can deliver the good news of His love. Ephesians 1.11 says this about God. That God works all things, everything according to the counsel of His will. Do you think it a coincidence that this Israelite girl was in Naaman's household? According to verse 1, it was God who gave victory to Naaman. God could have withheld victory if he so chose. He granted it. Why? this girl would have been taken away from home. Become a slave. In Naaman's household. And we think we have problems. Why? So that she could be the link in the chain that not only resulted in the healing of Naaman's leprosy, but also the healing of Naaman's soul. 
Think for a minute, if you will. Place yourself there. You're in a little village in Palestine. You're busy. It's a normal day. Cleaning the house. All of a sudden, you hear this commotion. Naturally, you're curious to what it is, and you look out the window, and you see people dying. Possibly your own family members, possibly your own parents. Horror streaks over you. The Syrian army enters your house. They take your stuff and they take you away to a far land. You have no family there. This is what this girl dealt with. Now think. The slave girl had every reason to keep her mouth shut. She could have withheld the antidote to Naaman's leprosy out of a sort of revenge. She could have spited him. She could have got even. But love, mercy, pity, compassion compelled her to speak of what she knew. That there is a prophet in Israel. Brothers and sisters, maybe God has put us through hard times. Maybe that's to minister to others. And all we have to do is to share what we know. A lot of times I know, for me, there's a great fear about sharing about the Lord. And I've thought about it, and, you know, there's all kinds of reasons. Maybe I don't know enough, and, uh, you know, maybe I'm afraid they're going to reject me. Maybe I'll screw up the message. But in my study and in my thinking, I've just come to this realization. The real issue is I don't love sinners as I should. Love casts out fear. Perfect love does. There are billions of Naamans in this world spiritually. We shouldn't keep our mouths shut. It's pretty simple. All she did was share what she knew. That was it. I can do that. You can do that. We can do that. You're a sinner. You've broken God's law. I bet you've lied before. That makes you a liar. You've stolen something before. That makes you a thief. According to what God says, since he is holy and perfect and righteous, nothing perfect, unperfect, can enter his kingdom. But, 
there's good news. There's great news. God condescended, and he became a man. And he came down here and lived a perfect life, a life you and I fall short of every day. He died a death that we deserved. Jesus was nailed to a cross. They're taking on the fierce wrath of the Father. Pay the penalty for our sins so that you and I, guilty ones, could go free. And we have this hope. God raised him from the dead. And it gives us hope to one day that the grave isn't our final resting place, that we can be resurrected with him to be with him for Jesus is preparing many rooms in his father's house as we speak God commands you out of love to give up to repent say Lord I'm I'm tired of doing it on my own I made a wreck of my life Me running on my own and doing my own things, I made a mess of things. I give up, Lord. I give up. And God commands you. He commands me to believe upon His Son, who He is and what He's done. We can share that. We know that. It's the gospel. Let's look at verse 5. That'll bring us to our third point. (laughs) Verse 5. And the king of Syria said, Go now and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went taking with them ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. This brings us to our third point about God's love. God's love is incompatible with human merit. God's love is incompatible with human merit. Ten talents of silver, six thousand shekels of gold, and ten changes of clothing. By today's weight, that would be 340 kilograms of silver. It's a lot. 90 kilograms of gold. This is an extremely large sum of money. These aren't travel expenses. He's not going to go stay at the Hilton. He's not going to go eat at the best restaurants, and he needed some money to pay for his trip. Why did Naaman do this? Why is he taking this money with him? He thought he could buy a cure. He thought he could buy God's love. He thought he could buy the favor of a 
fleischless God. God's loving favor cannot be bought or gained through any human endeavor. By grace you are saved through faith. It is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no man may boast. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. It depends not on him who wills or on human exertion, but on God who shows mercy. Romans 9, 16. God's loving favor is not dependent on us. It's depending on Him being a loving God. I don't know about you, but isn't that great news? I blow it every day. Why would God love me? Why? I could see no purpose in Him loving me if it was based on my performance. I'm not rich. I can't buy His love. I'm not good enough to deserve it. Yet, isn't it true when you go out and you talk to people who don't know the Lord? This is how people think. The buying or meriting of God's favor is the cornerstone of false religion. A lot of Americans believe I'm a good person. Never murdered anybody. Don't cheat on my wife. Pretty good to my kids. I'm better than this person down the street from me. He's a drunkard. I'll just get to God and we'll, you know, at the end of time and we'll have a conversation and it'll all work out. All false religion says mankind must work to earn God's favor and work up to be acceptable to God. But the Lord says we must give up such attempts to manipulate them. It's manipulating God. And just look to Jesus and receive what Jesus has already done. God's love is incompatible with merit. Praise the Lord for that. In verses 6 through 8, let's look at those. And he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, When this letter reaches you, know that I have sent you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and to make alive? This man sends word to me to cure a man of leprosy. Consider and see how he is seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard 
that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Let him come to me, that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. Our fourth point about God's love. Receiving God's love depends not on self. It depends on God. Receiving God's love depends not on ourselves. It depends on God. Thinking just from the physical aspect of what's going on here. We're introduced to the next character in the story. It's the king of Israel. He's faced with this difficult situation. The commander of the Syrian army is being sent to him. It seems right now that there's this time of peace between Syria and Israel. Or else he would have just killed Naaman. But that peace he knew was uh, not on good footing. Any moment, war could break out. Notice what the king does. He looks to himself. I'm going to cure Naaman's leprosy. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. He panics. He couldn't cure Naaman. He was powerless to do so. He only saw the negative of the situation. Thinking, Naaman is going to come here to me. I can't cure the guy. He's going to get mad, go back, and attack Israel. I'm going to be in a lot of problems. I can't defeat that army. We're all going to be slaves to the Syrians. The king's problem was that he looked to himself to try to find the cure for Naaman's problems. Naaman's leprosy. He doesn't look to the Lord in whom all things are possible, according to Matthew 19.26. Shouldn't this not be a lesson to us? To take all matters in life before the throne of grace in prayer? And in doing so, we won't commit the same foolishness that this king of Israel committed? Let us, like the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, boast in our weaknesses, and thus we will find our strength in the Lord. In every infirmity, whether physical or spiritual, let us never forget that the Lord's name is Jehovah Rapha, which translated as the Lord who heals. Look at verse 8. How different is Elisha's response than the king of Israel? King of Israel, panic. Elijah, confident. King of Israel, looking to himself. Elijah, looking to God as the prophet of the Lord. You send that name into me, Elisha says. Why? Text says, so that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. There is someone who speaks for the true Lord here. There is one who gives the correct message of the Lord. And he will cure the leprosy of Naaman. He, God, will do the impossible. Elisha was looking to the Lord for the cure. 
like the slave girl, Elisha had a lot of reasons just to turn his back on the situation. He's an enemy of the Israelites. But Elisha sought the greatest good. That Naaman's eyes would be open. That is his greatest need. That his eyes would be open, not so much as leprosy. That his eyes would be open and he would behold the loving Lord through the Lord's spokesman, a prophet. To receive God's love and grace, we must be as Elisha. We must not look to ourselves that do something, but we must look to the Lord, the Lord who is love, according to 1 John 4, 8. Let us remember that we love God because he first loved us. 1 John 4, 19. Let's look in verses 4, or excuse me, 9 through 11. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, Go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and he went away saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out and stand and call upon the name of the Lord his God and wave his hand all over the place and cure the leper. Our fifth point. Effectively communicating God's love does not depend on the person or some clever technique. It just depends on clearly communicating God's word. Effectively communicating God's love does not depend on the person or clever technique. It just focuses on clearly communicating God's word. Naaman rides up. Chariots, pomp and splendor, great entourage. He's a big time man. Elisha doesn't even bother leaving his house. He stays inside. Well, wait a minute. I thought Elisha loved Naaman. He does. But there's a lesson to be learned. Naaman believed Elisha should have came out and humbly been there before him. Naaman, filled with pride, thought, that it was all about Elijah should have came there, bowed down to him, served him, and Elisha would have got something from it. Because Naaman is a man of great significance. Did you catch some of the wordage that's used there? Naaman is so influenced by the sorcerers and what prophets of all these other false religions did. He's expecting Elisha to come out there and do the same thing. Some hocus pocus. To be a sorcerer. Come out there and wave your hands about and say some things and he'll be healed. 
I'm glad God does not work that way. That would scare me. Have some guy doing all kinds of that foolishness. Thought Elijah would come out, say the magical spell in the name of his God, and he would be healed. Go home, problem solved. Yet what did Elisha do? He sends this messenger to Naaman. He loved him. He sent the cure. The simple message. The word of God. Wash yourself in the Jordan River seven times and you will be healed. The command with the promise attached. Elisha wanted Naaman to know that it is not the messenger who is important. It, rather, it's the contents of the message from God that is important. Aren't you glad of this? The Bible says not many of God's people are of noble standing, powerful. God chose the weak things in the world to shame the wise. Literally, the things that are not to shame the things that are. We don't have to be the greatest preacher or evangelist alive. It's about the message of God's grace. It's the word of God. I want to stop and consider something else. How Naaman even takes this. And let's even examine our own hearts. How we take the good news of the love of God. He says, wash in the Jordan River seven times. Now, any person's natural inclination would be thinking, that's foolishness. I bathe all the time. Yet this leprosy still sticks to me. Naaman viewed the command as foolishness. Yet the power of healing lied not in the water of the Jordan, but in the power of the living, loving God. Would Naaman be willing to do a very simple but very foolish task, believing that God would meet his need according to God's promise? Now, here it is. Isn't that the very essence of the gospel? Isn't that the very essence of the gospel? Most people view a crucified Christ as foolishness. A stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles, as God's word says in 1 Corinthians 1.23. How can we be justified and made righteous before God by a crucified Messiah? That's crazy. But to those who have taken us, us who have taken God at his word, that simple message is both the power and wisdom of God. Let us thus learn 
that to, out of love, accurately share the gospel is infinitely better than some clever technique that try to manipulate a sinner's emotions so that they can make a quick yet uninformed decision and invite Jesus into their hearts. We've all seen that. Decisions without regeneration. Decisions. Where the people live like the devil and end up in hell. Is it our manipulations that make people enter the kingdom of heaven? Or is it, are we really saying, this is powerful? This could break the heart of stone. This can change the inner man. This can bring life out of death. I'm going to trust this. Let's look at verses 11 through 12. But Naaman was angry, and he went away, saying, Behold, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand, call upon the name of his Lord as God, and wave his hand all over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abna and Farpar, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Our sixth point about God's love that's derived from this text is a sad one, to say the least. God's loving message, properly communicated, sometimes, quite frankly, oftentimes, receives a hate-filled response from the proud heart. God's loving message, properly communicated, oftentimes receives a hate-filled response from the proud heart. I want to read to you what Charles Spurgeon, in his sermon on this text, said. I think he rightly understands and communicates Naaman's heart. What virtue can there be in this water? Why should I even be go to, told to go and wash it all? I've washed many times. It has never cured my leprosy. This dry disease is not so readily got rid of. But, but supposing that there is some medicinal influence in the water, why must I go and wash in the Jordan? It is but a mere ditch. Why can I not go and wash in my own rivers? We have medicinal streams in our own land. At any rate, Abna and Farpar are cleaner and wider. Their current is stronger than that of the Jordan. The Jordan, which empties into the Dead Sea. It seems to be a dead river at best. May I not go home to Samaria, Syria, and there wash 
It is a petty thing that I should come all this way. And he should tell me, wash and be clean. It is absurd. It is contrary to the nature of things. It cannot be possible, and therefore I will not go and try it. End quote. This is what Naaman's heart was thinking. A simple gospel command. A simple good news from the Lord to Naaman. And Naaman's statement only proves the spiritual truth that the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Romans 8, 7. Naaman went away in a rage. This is how the flesh reacts to the loving commands of God at times. Or I even move on. How many of us truly believed the first time we heard the gospel? How many of us heard it for years? why we might not have acted out in such anger on the outside. We still wanted to control our own lives. We were angry on the inside. How dare God tell me what to do? How dare he call me to submit and to die to self? At times, are we not in a rage? I beg us all today to examine ourselves by the word of God. Do you adore the doctrine of salvation by grace alone? Do we bump our heads against that doctrine with rage and pride, wanting to earn our own salvation by our own deeds, our own merit? We shouldn't be as foolish as Naaman was at this point in the story. We need to cry out to God to slay our pride, to kill that, and to look to Jesus alone. And just consider just the words of Naaman. this guy would come out here and do this and that and I'd be healed. I thought. Do we trust what the Lord says or what we think? Imagine the picture in hell. God's wrath being poured out. One person says to another, what are you in here for? Why do you suffer as such? Well, I was a drunkard. Why are you here, sir? Why do you suffer? I was a murderer. 
Then they turned the tables. Why are you here? I thought. I thought my way of salvation was better than Jesus. It's this way. I thought I could do it on my own. I thought I could wait and live my life and enjoy the pleasures of this flesh, but not submit to Jesus' way. There are many people who swam to hell because they thought. May the Lord renew our minds by the word of God so that his thoughts become our thoughts. Verse 13. Verse 13. I love this. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word that the prophet prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? Our seventh point about God's love. Communicating God's love, we must plead with and encourage the enemy of God to believe God's message. Communicating God's love, we must plead with and encourage the enemy of God, the sinner, to believe God's message. Amon's about ready to go back home. He's fed up. He's thinking, what a waste. All this way. Now I've got to turn and go back. I hear all this stupidity from a so-and-so messenger of a prophet. But one of his own messengers, God opened his eyes. One of Naaman's own servants understood. Has he really said, wash and be clean? It's a simple thing. Why don't you do it? We've come all this way. You have this huge problem. Has not he said this simple thing? Why don't you do it? You see the chain? First link, God loves Naaman. Slave girl. Elisha. Naaman's servant. get to the next verse, name it's healed. When we communicate God's love, His gospel, it should never be a dry intellectual exercise. 
It shouldn't be a data dump on the hearer. Are we not compelled by love to stand at the crossroads and to compel and to beg and to plead with sinners that go into the master's house? Do we love those who are perishing? Then away with this half-hearted evangelism. Away with this dispassionate please. We must plead with and encourage sinners to believe God's message. And who knows? What link in the chain you'll be to a sinner? You might be the first link. You might be that last one to encourage them. Last of all, I want to kind of look at the results of God's love, the rest of the story. Read a large section here, verses 14 through 23. So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child. He was clean. Then he returned to the man of God. He and all his company. And he came and stood before him. And he said, Behold, I know there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant, Elisha said, As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will receive none. He urged him to take it, but he refused. Then Naaman said, If not, please, let there be given to your servant two mules load of earth. For from now on, your servant will not offer burnt offering to sacrifice to any other god but the Lord. In this manner, may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into the house of Ramon and worship there. Leaning on my arm, I will bow myself in the house of Ramon. But when I bow myself in that house, the Lord pardon your servant for this manner. And Elisha said to him, go in peace. But when Naaman had gone from him a short distance, Gehazi, the servant of Elisha, the man of God, said, See, my master has spared this Naaman, the Syrian, and not accepting from him what his hand had brought. As the Lord lives, I will run after him and get something from him. So Gehazi followed Naaman. And when Naaman saw someone running after him, he got down from his chariot to meet him and said, Is all well? And he said, all is well. My master has sent me to say, there has just now come to me from the whole country of Ephraim two men of the sons of the prophets. Please give them a talent of silver and two changes of clothing. And Naaman said, be pleased to accept two talents. And he urged him 
and tied up two talents of silver and two bags and two changes of clothing and laid them on two of his servants. And they carried them before Gehazi. Let's look at the result of receiving God's love. Notice first of all, verse 14, we who receive God's love will obey his commandments. He dips himself seven times in the Jordan. He obeys. And I'm sure probably after like dip number six, washing number six, he's probably quite foolish. Probably a lot of people were looking at him. What is this guy doing? Yet he obeyed. And he was clean. Does not Jesus say, if you love me, you will keep my commandments? In John 14, 15. Secondly, I think we can learn from this is those who receive God's love, God will completely clean. His flesh was restored as the flesh of an infant, a baby. Pure. Clean. No more hint of leprosy. God has cleansed us from our sins. And he promises to complete this task when we are glorified with him. Third of all, those who receive God's love receive it freely. Elisha took no money from Naaman. He wanted nothing. And does not God freely give his son to those who repent and believe? Fourth, those who receive God's love become worshipers of God. Naaman is a young believer. He doesn't have it all figured out. Hey, can I take some dirt with me? So I can go worship and it's going to be kind of like a memorial of what happened here. There's no other God but Israel. Yeah, sure. If we are inflamed with God's love, we're worshipers of the living God. Fifthly, those who receive God's love become generous in giving to God. Not looking so much to what Gehazi did, but what was Naaman's response? Oh, you need a talent silver? How about two? This is going to help out some of the prophets of Israel? Take. If we've received God's love, we understand it's all the Lord's. And it's not about this world. It's about the world to come. So we generously give. So the message of Jesus can be spread. That we can meet people's needs that we can be good. Has not God freely given to us? How can we hoard it in? kind of want to close with this before we get into our time of communion.
Who are we in the story? Who are we? Can we say, you know what? I was Naaman. An enemy of God. Unclean. But God found me. God used people in His message to draw me. And now I totally get these things about receiving God's love and what it produces in my life. That's so, shouldn't we be the happiest people? What can there be of troubles if our sins are forgiven? Are we Naaman before verse 13 or 14? All about ourselves and pride and rebellious against God. Doing our own things. Building up our own kingdom. you, may the Lord break you. May the Lord capture you by His love. There's the third person in the story. He's the most tragic. It's Gehazi. The rest of the story is he goes back thinking he's gotten away with something God tells Elisha what had happened. Gehazi gets leprosy. As a leper, he couldn't be around Elisha. He was a man who was so close to God in one sense. He was discipled by a prophet. He was so close to the things of the house of God, yet I have to wonder... Did this guy get it at all? Was he saved? Did he really experience God's love? Could it possibly be some of us just play church so close to the things of God and we're acquainted with them? Yet deep down in the recesses of our hearts, we don't see that dependence and love of God message is God loves you too. God loves both the religious and lost sinner and the wayward prodigal son like Naaman. He pleads with both to come into his house to be reconciled. Let us pray. Father, your word is a mighty thing. We thank you that you are love. We thank you that even in our lost spiritual state, when you had every right to do away with us, you had compassion. You showed mercy. 
you have grace. Lord, we thank you for the channel of that grace. Our Lord Jesus. It's through him and what he has done that we have received grace upon grace, mercy upon mercy. Oh, Lord, I forget that oh so quickly. I go through my life forgetting a lot about you. Help me. Help us. Help us to see you clearly. Lord, our hearts are prone to wander. They're prone to leave you. They're prone to go their own way. They're prone to be hardened. Soften us, Lord, today. Soften us with your love so that we may proclaim your love to others. Lord, and do this for your own namesake. That people will come to know of this love and the greatness that is in your son, Jesus. We beg you, Father. We plead with you, Father. Start the work in us.